Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Focal Collective Podcast. We have a very special guest today, uh, Seth, who not too long ago had the opportunity to explore North Korea. So we wanted to get him on a, on a call and, and see what that experience was, was all about. Seth, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, guys. Uh, Seth Scott. Uh, I'm a very avid traveler. And in the past few years, I've gotten uh, into photography quite a bit as well. And I love exploring the more unseen parts of the world and the ones with kind of stereotypes that I they always catch my attention, you know. Um, so North Korea had always been very high on my list since I was a young kid. And uh, I finally made the trip for my birthday last year. And it was an incredible experience. So yeah, how, and did you, how did you pull that off? How did you, you know, start to research to, you know, getting into North Korea and that whole process? Maybe walk us through that. Sure. About uh, three years before I went, I started researching North Korea because you'd hear on the news about, uh, you know, the nuclear missile tests and all that going on. And I came across a random website page that uh, mentioned tourists to North Korea. So I, I always was looking into that and uh, researching into it. And uh, I found out that you can actually visit North Korea, uh, but it has to be with an organized tour and you always have to be with a tour guide. So you don't get any alone time, um, nothing like that. And uh, you all the companies are based out of Beijing, China. So that's where you would uh, that's where you'd go to uh, to travel to North Korea. And I contacted a few companies, and I finally made a decision with one of them for uh, I think it was about a seven day tour. That's crazy. So you literally had to have a layover, I guess, in Beijing. You went through a Beijing based tour company to explore North Korea. Um, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess. I, that's uh that's that's the only way to really do it um there's there's lots of companies that do it but uh all the tour guides and stuff it's pretty much like the same company they all the companies do the exact same tours basically so it's not much different between them definitely so so to prepare for it did you need to get a, a certain tourist visa or the tour company set that up what were you allowed to bring into the country right like regular sets of clothes the camera gear that you brought like what were the things that made it into the border and what were things that didn't make it back, if any? <laughs> so the big thing was uh, don't bring any GPS devices, specific devices, really. I was allowed to bring my cell phone, my computer, um, digital cameras. They, it was actually quite lenient. Um, and they also said a big one was don't bring any Bibles, any sort of religious materials. That was a really big one for, um, for, for the company to make sure you do not have that. Probably the most important one. For sure. And any That's paperwork? Like a, he, oh, sorry. Uh, any paperwork oh, nice. that would be against the regime, or you know, anything in that regard. So, when you um, arrived in Beijing to go on this tour, um, how would you describe the other people that were going on the tour with you? Were a lot of them, you know, uh, from you know North America, or you know, generally, what were the other people like? Uh, it was a really vast array of people. We had uh, a a few Canadians with us, um, some Euro lots of Europeans, Western Europeans, uh, Scandinavians, and uh, French people. Um, and the the age was quite varying from nineteen years years old to in like the sixties. So there's quite a, a like quite an interesting you know variety of people on the tour. 
I wouldn't have guessed that there'd be a variety of people wanting to visit North Korea, right? <laughs> I would have assumed it would be primarily like like a certain group of people. It wouldn't span like global interest almost because we're at least, you know, we're the three of us, uh, Drew, Mark and I, we're all based here in the United States, right? So we maybe get our own um, political bias when it comes to learning information about North Korea that generally steers people away. But maybe that's not the case in China. Maybe that's not the case in France or Canada. I think there is quite a bias uh, with the United States. It's understandable with the situation that's gone on with the, you know, the the American citizen that uh, sadly passed away with the situation that happened with uh, Pyongyang, North Korea recently. Um, But the stereo, like, there's a quite bad global stereotype, but, you know, a lot of people are intrigued by that. And any place that is kind of dubbed as dangerous or unknown, I've, you meet a lot of interesting tourists there, interesting people that travel to those kind of places. I guess it's kind of a similar notion to like wanting to travel to Chernobyl. Yeah, I've been to Chernobyl as well. Uh, no um, way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a, a place that was really high on my list. And again, you meet lots of people like from all different walks of life in those situations. Um, That's crazy. So, so tell us about the, um, you brought in your Pentax KM into North Korea. Yeah. So I brought my, my trusty old Pentax that I had, uh, still my, one of my favorite kind of cameras. It's just the same as a K1000, just with a self timer, basically. It's a lovely little camera. And, uh, the border guards, when they were going through my stuff, entering North Korea, they looked at me like I was crazy. Like this Canadian guy doesn't know the digital cameras exist or something. <laughs> Right. It's like all of a sudden Canada looks like the backwards country, not North Korea. Cause they're like, Oh, I guess they're all shooting film over there. They're behind their times. Right. <laughs> exactly. It was a, uh, he gave him a good chuckle, but I thought I wasn't sure if they were going to allow me in with it because uh, they can't check any photos that have been taken on it or, you know, any of that thing. So I was a bit worried about yeah, they that. Can't, they can't delete them unless they just literally destroy the film. Yeah, exactly. So I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but he just kind of shrugged it off, laughed at me, and then went through the rest of my stuff. And that was it. Everybody was actually quite friendly during that situation. Definitely. I mean, even just from the perspective of political journalism, that that's potentially a huge strategy, right? It's like, well, if we can't take certain photos when we're in North Korea, taking them on film, they can't necessarily check whether we were in compliance or not. Yeah, so that's, 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 that's interesting. That's really interesting. That's exactly what I was worried about. And, uh, yeah, I didn't really get questioned at all about the film photography. Uh, not once actually more just looked at like I was silly for shooting film still. (laughs) So how did you get into shooting film and when did all that start? And, um, you know, what made you desire to bring your film camera, you know, to North Korea with you? So for the past about five years, I've been into photography and, and film photography actually started out with, um, I found a little post on Craigslist for, I wanted to get a camera and they had a nice Canon lens on it. One of the, it was, a I can't remember some EOS camera, one of the ones with the, uh, like the EF electronic focus and everything that identical lens mount to the newer ones. So I bought this and I decided to shoot a few rolls with it and I got hooked on film. Just the, the mystery, it kind of keeps you wanting, you know, it always keeps you shooting um yeah so 
I uh, ended up getting hooked and I started buying different film cameras. I make posts on Craigslist and I just fell in love with it. And uh, then when I was traveling to North Korea, I hadn't shot a film in a long time and I was kind of looking for something to rekindle my love in photography. So I decided to pack my Pentax and uh, about six rolls of film. And uh, that was kind of uh, where my travel photography started. What were the six roles and why did you choose them? Um, I had never shot that much black and white film. And it's something I, I never developed film at home. So I'd slowed down a bit because it was such an expensive hobby. So I wanted to, t- to shoot some black and white because I knew the place would have that kind of Soviet-esque, that communist, that old school, like you would, the photos would be timeless. So that's why I decided to bring three rolls of black and white of Kodak Tri-X. And I brought three rolls of color, which was Kodak Ultramax 400. And I wanted to shoot 400 films because I know that North Korea is not the sunniest place. It's a bit cold and gloomy a lot of the time. So I wanted film that would work in kind of all varieties of situations I could be in. Yeah. So so how do you feel about um, Ultramax 400 compared to, you know, something like a Portrait 400 or, you know, a little bit, um, I'd say more standard nowadays in the film revival? Yeah, the Portrait films are gorgeous. I think Portrait 160 is my favorite film at the moment for color. And um, the Ultramax, though, is just such a great budget film. And I find the grain and stuff, it's, it's, it's a really pleasant light grain on the photos. And for the price, you just can't go wrong. With a 400-speed film, that renders quite nicely and has a latitude. Yeah, I've, I've, definitely, I've definitely been looking into shooting it more myself. Um, you know, I'm traditionally a Porsche 400 shooter, um, but I've been looking you know, to Ultramax 400 for that reason because it's so much cheaper. Um, and I think it's a little bit easier to find nowadays that, you know, film has become so popular. I feel like everyone's buying Portra 400. Yeah, it's hard to get your hands on a lot of the time. Most of the time I can only find Portra 160 at stores when I'm after it. Yeah. So have you ever, um, so, you know, you have the, the Pentax um, camera. Have you ever messed with any medium format at all? Or uh, It's really high on my list, but I have not got into medium format. Uh, as of yet, I've been looking at uh, some of the Fuji six six by four point five ones for uh, mm-hmm. they they they're looking really those are nice looking cameras. Are you talking about cool. the like the the ZI the GA six four five the Zoom G- and the yeah the the, uh, the GF six four five I think I've been mm-hmm. I just started researching the last few weeks about those quite a bit and there's one I believe it's a ninety millimeter three point five I could be wrong. Could be around seventy millimeter. Oh, I, I think I know which one you're talking about. I think you're you're talking. They have so. What's really cool about Fuji, um, I, the one I'm talking about. So the, there's a GA six four five, and it's awesome because it's like a large point and shoot camera. Everything's kind of automatic. Um, but I think the one you're talking about was one of the more manual, a uh, little bit more old school ones, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think I think that's, that's exactly the one. As long as I like my cameras that have built in light meters. Just because when when mm-hmm. I'm I, most of the photography I do is travel related, so I need to be able to take a photo fairly quickly. I don't usually have time to meter. Yeah, um, no, I, I totally struggle with that because with my medium format work, I've been shooting um, with a Mamiya RB67, and I know that Mark has one as well. Um, and one of my biggest gripes with it is that every time I take a picture, you know, I have to meter. 
Um, and I know I could get something like the, the, the meter prism, but, um, you know, it's just something I haven't got around to doing yet. Yeah, it's, uh, definitely, you know, it adds a lot of time to the process. Yeah. The GS645 actually was the one I was looking at. It just, uh, popped up on in my mind here. Yeah, no, those are, those are awesome cameras for sure. Yeah. And tr- traveling, so, I was always scared to haul around the uh, 120 format film and the camera because it's so large, but I've seen a few compact yeah. ones, so. No, definitely there are a few options. Um, you know, the, the, the ones you're talking about, the GA645, there's also, um, you know, a little bit more expensive, but the Mamiya 7, Mamiya 7-2. Oh, yeah, those are those gorgeous. Are yeah, I mean, but they're, you pay a premium for it. <laughs> yeah yeah no doubt those will run you about three to four k but um so so going back to um you know north korea maybe you know walk us through when you got there and you know just the process of taking pictures and um how that all went yeah for sure so uh basically we meet up with our crew in beijing and we get on a train about 24 hours to uh to dandong china where we cross the border into north korea and uh, we get on, we switch trains when we reach Dandong and we take another, it's about seven hours to Pyongyang. Uh, when we get to Pyongyang, uh, we get picked up by our tour guides and taken to our hotel where we're briefed on like the do's and don'ts uh, of North Korea. And we had pretty much free reign on photography. Uh, There's a few th- things that they stated. Uh, so you, if you're going to take photos of propaganda or statues or anything like that take photos of the whole uh the whole statue or the whole propaganda poster because they don't want anything manipulated with that um another one was they do not want any photos of military so that's could get you in very deep trouble uh no photos of any military checkpoints soldiers anything like that and the last one was no photos of manual labor or animal labor they were very uh, pushy on those and of course, any photos of um, poverty in total—they asked us not to take photos of. Did you see any of what you weren't allowed to take photos of, like military, yeah. armed guards, checkpoints, animal labor, poverty? What What was that like? Uh, yeah, you see quite a bit of it outside of Pyongyang, and uh, there was quite a military presence in in the capital inside of Pyongyang. So you'd see lots of military checkpoints and uh, soldiers in the streets. Uh, outside of town, there's a lot of. Uh, smaller towns that were very simple. Like I wouldn't call them impoverished, but our tour guides asked us politely, please do not take photos of the situations of the, the communities, the homes, which uh, kind of surprised me because they were quite nice, beautiful little mountain communities. Um, you'd also see people washing clothing in the rivers and people with pickaxes in the street uh, doing road repairs and stuff like that. I mean, it sounds beautiful. It's a shame it's like kind of you're barred from photographing it. Yeah, there's there's a couple photos I took that were kind of borderline. And uh, nobody, they weren't that strict on it. Like you could do it, but I wanted to be respectful. You know, I whenever I travel, I try to respect the wishes of the, the country I'm visiting, you know. Yeah, for sure. It's important to respect the local traditions and all of that. Yeah, the last thing I'd want is to ruin it for somebody else as well, you know, like future travel to North Korea because it's a, it's a very interesting place and it's, it you know it's it's I'm trying to think of the word, it's quite incredible. 
And I wouldn't want people to lose the opportunity to see it themselves. For sure. I, I'm curious to know, like, what, what was kind of like the scariest experience you had there? What was maybe the most surprising? What was the most rewarding? Um, the most surprising thing to me, I think, was the true faith that people had in their leader. Um, I was with my tour guide, Mr. Che, and he was, uh, we were talking about music and we were showing each other cell phones because every North Korean's issued a cell phone. And he was showing me the apps on his phone. I was showing him the apps on mine and we were explaining what was going on. And then he opened my Spotify app and he, uh, he asked me about the music and I showed him some music. And then he showed me the music on his phone and it, it was all related to, you know, like the eternal leaders, Kim Jong-un, the Kims and stuff like that. And it really showed to me how these people really have so much faith in their leader. Like it, it really shook me how, like how real the faith was these people had. Um, right. But, but also I imagine their government issued phones wouldn't be able to access like, I don't know, Taylor Swift or whatever on Spotify, you know, so yeah, it, it, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, yeah. They're, like they'd never heard of Western music. At one point uh, they took us to this, it was called the grand people study house, downtown Pyongyang. And they, uh, they were showing us, oh, like, this is, the we- this is the music appreciation room where we have music from all over the world. And they put on a stereo and it played the Beatles, Hey Jude. And our tour guides asked us, is this a popular song? <laughs> you know, they'd never heard yeah, anything like, like-, like 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the, all they said was they're called the Beatles, like the bug. Like they didn't understand it. <laughs> right. <laughs> man so what was the food like over there um how you know how did they feed you you know as part of the tour or you know were you allowed to go out to some restaurants or how did that all work yeah there's a whole bunch of different restaurants in the cities um a lot of kimchi was served very traditional korean dishes um pyongyang cold noodles was this uh spicy cold noodle dish they offered us at one point um and they also offered us dog was offered uh, as a special, an optional special at one point as well. So a lot. Did you partake? Uh, I, yeah, I did. I, I did try. <laughs> it was. Oh man! Well, was, you, you got to respect the culture while you're there, so that that's definitely part of it. When, when in Rome, it's a very like a high end. Oh soup. my goodness! Yeah, that's that's wild. Was it good? Uh. Not, not really. It was. I couldn't really get over it. A few of us pitched and we tried it, and uh, it was very fatty. And got it. It just, um, yeah, it wasn't my favorite, but you know, I tried it, and uh, <laughs> well, that's uh, yeah, that's in the past now. <laughs> wow, you heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I bet, I bet, um, from your travels, you know, you've had a it seems like you travel to a lot of, um, you know, unique places that you've had to kind of, you know, that felt the pressure of the culture, um, more than once, kind of like in situations like that. Um, what, what kind of made you decide, you know, you wanted to go seek out these super risky places. So I I did a thing called the Mongol rally where we drove from England to Mongolia uh, about two and a half years ago. And during that drive, we, we drove through Iran 
And I had never been to a Middle Eastern country before. I'd never been to, I've been to some Islamic countries, but it was kind of like the most Islamic place I'd ever been to. And uh, I fell in love with the nation. And I was like, if this place has such a bad reputation, I want to know what these other places have to offer. And since then, I've gone to North Korea. I've gone to Sudan. I've been to Turkmenistan, Somalia, um, Iraq. So, like, I I just love to know what these places, like, if if what the media says is true, if I, I like to see for myself what, life's really like in some of these places and it's a very special thing and i'm very lucky that i've been able to do it yeah that's amazing so wh- where's next on the list because uh, you, so you this, said that uh, shooting medium format film is like next on the list but then yeah. you know like <laughs> it's funny like you almost prioritize going to like sudan somalia turkmenistan and then, like, it's like, yeah, but and you, you kind of casually played it off. Like, yeah, like, shooting medium formats on the list, but I've also been to Chernobyl, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like right now, uh, I had a bunch of plans this summer. My girlfriend, uh, her family lives just outside of Nairobi, so I was going to go there. But with the situation, I'm not sure if I'll be able to travel. And I was also planning on maybe doing uh, Western Africa and maybe Pakistan, Afghanistan uh, next I've really wanted to see the the traditional hash making that goes on in Afghanistan and document it, especially on film. I think it would be amazing on black and white and some, some maybe portrait 160 and portrait 400. But uh, I'm really unsure with the situation now, if I'm going to be able to do anything within the year. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very crazy times. I have a bunch of family and friends back in New York and it's getting slammed out there right now. It's very, uh, uncertain crazy crazy times yeah so as of right now i'm just uh relaxing out in canada on the west coast here are you're you're based in the vancouver area uh vancouver island so just across the water about a two-hour boat ride got it that must be really nice out there it's beautiful yeah it's a gorgeous place very gorgeous yeah i'm down in los angeles it's been raining all day today which is very rare we finally had some sunshine out here uh, you know, it's a rainforest. Here, I guess you guys took it. Yeah, <laughs> you took it away from me. <laughs> yeah, sorry yeah. about that. Mar- no problem. Mark's over in DC and Drew's down in Miami. Oh, all over so, the continent here. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> we got a, a We're taking here. over. <laughs> so I was just looking through the article. Um, you you took um, included a picture where you were taking a. Uh, you know, shooting out of a car window and, you know, it, it seemed like you had talked about in the article, you know, like saying that they didn't want you to take that picture, you know, maybe you can elaborate on that. Yeah. So I was on the last day of my tour in a city called Sinuiju. Uh, I did an extension. So I had my main tour and it turned out I was the only person out of like the 40 people I was on my tour with that decided to do the one day extension. So I got dumped in some small town, North Korea and picked up by two guides in a private car. And they took me to this hotel and they took me on a private tour of uh, kind of a lesser known city that people don't see often. And um, as we were driving through this town, I unrolled the window of my car and I took that photo and I didn't realize at the time because we were slowly driving, there was a soldier in it. Um, So my tour guide pushes my camera down and he says, Seth, you know you're not at home in Canada, right? You can't do whatever you want. You can't just take photos out the window here. 
And that was kind wow. of a the one moment that really I was like, wow, I'm feeling pretty comfortable that sometimes you forget, you know, like where you are. Yeah, definitely. So was it, um, you know, for anyone that's confused, uh, you can go on the Focal Collective um, website and see Seth's article. Um, there's a photo um, where he talks about it a little bit. Um, were those uh, school children or military or? So I found out that uh, there was a big event that I just missed and Kim Jong-un was reelected uh, while I was there apparently and it was a party going on down the street. So all these people were leaving the party and you can see some uh, people dressed in their uniforms. I'm not sure if they're school or uh, or if it was like a parade uniform. I think mm-hmm. it was a parade that was going on. So you can see there was hundreds of people walking the streets and that's what I randomly bumped into. I found out he was reelected. <laughs> Yeah, shocker there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly. I was like, oh no way. You <laughs> ran on a post, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe so it. Did you? Were you able to party with the locals and celebrate? Uh, um, no, I I wasn't even allowed to get near it. So it was just ending, and they dodged that. I don't know why, but I was not allowed to go near it. <laughs> I was pushing for it. But uh, and so, just I, I guess I want to double check the entire tour you had to be chaperoned around by a government official right yes the uh you always have to have if it's one person there has to be two with you and there's no way around it wow so if you're one person you need minimum two government officials chaperoning you yeah so when they have the big tour groups though they don't require it but uh i was like why do i need two people with me and they said what if one of us has to go to the bathroom we always need to have an eye on you and that was what they said to me yeah, it's like camp counselor rules, right? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. the same thing. They're treating us like uh, like like campers. <laughs> exactly. It's funny, yeah. So how long were you there for in total? I think I was there seven days exactly. Is that including the extension that you chose? Yeah, so it was a six-day tour with a one-night extension, so seven days in total. So then were you able to visit... Um, like I, I know obviously it was a very tailored tour and they brought you to very targeted and specific destinations. What were the destinations? What, what did the tour, what were they able to show you? Like, were you able to walk into schools? I know you toured around different like neighboring towns and you were in Pyongyang. Yeah, we went uh, to the D- the DMZ, the mil- demilitarized zone along the the border there. So they gave us a tour of where the armistice was signed and uh, showed us around the whole area. Uh, we were taken to the Grand Barrage, which is uh, basically a giant dam that they built, and they're extremely proud of. It's a, like a monument for their country, basically. Um, they took us to a spa, a hot spring spa in the countryside. That was interesting. And uh, they took us all different statues around Pyongyang, different sites, uh, to the palace where we could see Kim Jong-un's uh, like father and like the grand the grandparents, the whole Kim family who lays there, um, they're preserved under glass. And uh, then I went to Sinuiji where I got a tour of a school and uh, a perfume factory, a glass factory. They, they toured us around all things to kind of show their industrialization, it seemed, and show their independence. Did you get to hang out at any bars? Was that um, like a thing? We went to uh, a, a brewery in Pyongyang beside the the museum 
and we hung out and they had like six different different beers. It was really cool. And there's like locals there having beers and hanging out. It was a very relaxed vibe. Uh, The Korean, the North Korean people really like to drink. (laughs) So (laughs) I can only imagine. (laughs) Yeah. So there's soju everywhere and beer everywhere. You don't get a meal without a beer. <laughs> How would you compare the the North Korean beer to Canadian beer or North American? Uh, they they love their nice light beers. They don't have any uh, dark IPAs or any, any anything anything like that. Just like nice, flavor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very nice, watery, like sunny day, relaxing beers. <laughs> nothing, nothing dark and happy. What was the um, weather like over there when you were over there? Like, was it uh, cold or? I was there almost a year ago to like within a week, almost a year ago. And it was, I was really lucky with the weather. We had one day of cloud and the rest we had pretty much sunshine. Um, but I've heard it's quite uh, rainy there most of the time, but we scored with our time. We really got lucky. How, how lucky are we that we're recording this on the anniversary of you being in North Korea? Yeah, I was actually just going through some photos <laughs> and seeing which ones I hadn't put up and uh, going to make a post. I went for my birthday for my 24th birthday last year. Heck yeah. And and I'm I'm still curious. We only have the uh the T Max photos up on the site. I still haven't really seen your black and white stuff from there. Which yeah. I'd love to see. Yeah, I was actually looking at doing a second post with uh, the black and white shots. There's one photo that I think is my favorite photo I've ever taken. And uh it's three cyclists along the river in Pyongyang. And uh You're holding out on us. What is what's that? <laughs> <laughs> you can check out my Instagram, it's on there. And uh yeah, it's. Uh, oh, what, make... What's your Instagram? It just t- tell us your handle. We'll, we'll have everybody that's listening in uh, check you out as well. My my Instagram is uh, Seth C Scotty, so just with a Y at the end. So S E T H C S C O T T Y, and you can find it there. And I have lots of photos from Somalia, North Korea, Iraq, all my travels, Sudan. You can find everything on there. I'm sure we're going to want to talk about talk about those two in the future. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. They're, some really, uh, yeah, some really awesome opportunities. Yeah, I've been yeah, really lucky. Like yeah, that'd be awesome. What What was that one shot? I'm I'm reviewing it. It's like you're on like the roof of a big building, and you have this giant like cityscape, streetscape, almost like overlooking this giant uh, triangular building. What was the building? Where was this rooftop? How'd you get up there? so there's you know the arch to triumph in paris there's a famous arch that you've seen probably in some historic photos uh soldiers marching through so uh during when they were freed from japanese rule the north korea decided to build one that was a little bit taller than the one in paris so there's an arch to triumph downtown pyongyang and you can go for five euros they charge you in euros for some reason you can go to the very top and you can walk and see the whole view of downtown Pyongyang. And I was lucky enough to take some some photos I, I'm in love with there. Like if you're reviewing the one I posted a few weeks ago, I really love that photo of the downtown and the people. Yeah. It's a beautiful arch. I just pulled it up on Google Images too. Like it, it looks really nice. I'm, I'm very, uh, I didn't realize I had that and I'm impressed. Yeah, I didn't realize it either until I saw this. We're driving through, I'm like... What what is this giant arch downtown? And uh, yeah, it was, it's incredible to see, and I find it quite funny how it has to be a few meters taller than the one in Paris. 
<laughs> well, yeah, of course. I mean, that's just you got to make it a little bit bigger. <laughs> yeah, and in the so, background, you see that that uh, famous hotel. Uh, I can't remember how to pronounce the name, but it's been under construction for about the last twenty five years. That uh, big is that the giant. the large. Okay, that's what I was just about to ask. I was like, what is the large triangular building? Because I feel like I see that everywhere, but never yeah. really understood what it was. It's kind of one of the most iconic buildings for North Korea. And hopefully one day soon, apparently they always, they're going to finish it next year. Every year. It's always next year. <laughs> That's hilarious. I know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I'll be able to go uh, stay in there one day in the future. I'd love to go back. So, so it's just a big hotel. Yeah, it's a big hotel that has never been finished and is, is not open. But That's night- too bad. Like I, I thought that it would be something like, like the uh, our our great leaders like secret layer or something like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, something like that. At nighttime, they actually post uh, they put project uh, images of like the North Korean flag onto it and stuff like that, and soldiers marching and stuff like that. It's quite interesting to see at nighttime. So um, with just going back, uh, just another random question. So with your Pentax, um, you just have the one lens, the 50 millimeter 1.7. Do you think you would try and get another lens for it? Uh, I've actually fully switched to Nikon as of now. Um, I've picked up for digital. I switched to Sony and then I, I switched all my, I really like the lenses that the Nikon system has. So on my latest trip, I switched mm-hmm. to a Nikon F3 is what it took with me. With oh, a, it's a nice camera. Yeah, it's a fantastic camera, and I got a Voigtlander 58 1.4 is what I was shooting primarily with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's a fantastic lens. Yeah, and I use that mixed on my Sony and uh, my film. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. I know that that's a very popular lens to um, switch over and adapt to Sony cameras because I also am a Sony shooter. Um, I actually I went the other route. I have a Canon um, F1 and the FD lenses, so it's a very similar situation where you can adapt a lot of those to the Sony. Um, yeah. That's you know, one thing I love about that. Um, so how do you like that the Nikon F3 so far? Uh, the F3 I really like, except the meter. Like when you're not shooting in auto mode, I find the meter very hard to read and very – it just says plus or minus. So usually I can guess my exposure fairly easily, but it's like I, I really hate shooting it outside of automatic mode. It's got a light so you can mm-hmm. see and stuff when it's dimly lit, but uh, I recently picked up an FM2, and I'm I'm, I, I'm I'm loving the FM2, and the meter on it I find nicer to use, and like I think I'm switching from my next trip just to bring the F, FM2 now and leaving the F3 at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know that some of the some of the older ones they definitely have a um, an issue where, you know, when you're in outside of the automatic modes, it uses light like the natural surrounding light into a little window to get the light for the to read the meter. And I I've also had issues with that um, on past cameras. That's one of the reasons why I got the F1 because I think um, it has a good um, light on it. Yeah, I've, I've never yeah, shot. That's, that's really F- cool. Never shot an F1, but a beautiful camera. I really hope one day I'll bump into somebody with one that I can give a whirl for a week or two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say it's it's basically um, 
you know, an AE1, but a tank. <laughs> it just feels a lot more solid in the hands. It's got a little bit more premium to it, but, um, you know, generally I'd say it's fairly similar to an AE1. Oh, yeah. But yeah, just I've had the opportunity Awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, should we, um, I mean, I think we went through the article pretty well. Um, what do you, what do you guys think? Um, Mike, do you have anything else to add? I, I don't, uh, I'm wondering, Mark's been a little bit quiet. I, I want to know if he has any questions to ask Seth while we still have him online. No, I'm just going through all the, uh, Somalia pictures and I'm jealous. <laughs> jealous of a lot of this. <laughs> Yeah, there's one photo I really love that I took in Somalia with a little girl looking out of the doorway. And uh, yeah, Somalia was incredible. It was quite difficult to photograph there. People really don't like the cameras in Somalia. Probably the most difficult I've ever had photographing there. But uh, yeah, maybe that's a story well, for another. Did you, <laughs> did you just buy a ticket, a plane ticket to Mogad issue and go? Uh, so there's uh, an autonomous country inside of Somalia. It's called Somaliland. So mm, I left right. Sudan and I went to Ethiopia and I went to the embassy for Somaliland and I got a visa for the region. So they're basically a country since 19, I think 92, they had a civil war and they became their own country, but they're not officially a country, but they have their own military, their own government, their own border. So it's a lot more stable in that region. So that's how I managed to uh, travel to there. Um, if I went to Megadishu, for example, it's extremely dangerous. I don't. I don't know how long I'd last somewhere like that. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I'm also seeing your uh, your drone footage from Bosnia. How do you like Mostar? Oh, Mostar was uh, was an incredible little, little town city. Um, I really love Bosnia. It reminded me of my home uh, in British Columbia, Canada. You know the mountains and the rivers and stuff. Uh, beautiful country. Uh, you know the uh, the old bridge there. Yeah, the Mostar Bridge. Yeah, that's I actually I got engaged under that bridge, down on the rocks where everyone swims. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's, that's where <laughs> my proposal was. <laughs> so must have a special place in your heart that part of the world, then, eh? Oh yeah, it's, it's oh I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's a really lovely country. I was doing some. Uh, I was in Europe for a while, and I found a flight for like eighty dollars to Bosnia. So I had to go check it out for for a bit. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, we'll definitely have to to get more up on the site um, so we can show everyone um, your work um, in these unique places. I feel like you never see people taking photos um, in these places. Yeah, that's what I really love about photography, uh, the type that I'm doing with traveling and stuff. Uh, showing people places in the world that they don't, you know, they'll never see themselves and showing them humanity across all these, you know, these places that have had such tough times and stuff, showing them that people live there and place with these bad reputations, the humanity, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you see yourself, um, you know, some type of, do you feel like you have like a photo project for all of it or you just kind of go in with the flow, um, shooting what you can to capture everything and maybe revisit it later? Uh, I'm just going with the flow, seeing wherever I can get into and whatever opportunities arise for me to travel. Um, Right now I'm in university again uh, for this semester. And, you know, if an opportunity opens up for me to travel somewhere else, like Pakistan or Afghanistan, one, you know, soon, then 
I'll just go with the flow and whatever, you know, wherever the wind takes me. That's awesome. Uh, so, so far, what's the degree that you're pursuing and are you trying to get further down the photojournalism rabbit hole or, or do you, do you plan to do something else full time and always keep photography and film photography as like kind of a, a passion project in your life? Uh, I think a lifetime goal for me is photojournalism for sure. Right now I'm pursuing a, a degree in global studies. Um, it's only my first year. I decided to go back uh, after traveling and um, global studies, maybe go into journalism, but photojournalism is definitely a lifetime goal of mine. I'd love to, I'd love to get into that field of work. I feel, I feel like in three years, I'll see you on like the head correspondent at like vice news or something. It's going to (laughs) be, if you keep this up, you're going to continue to find people that appreciate the work that you do. Thank you very much. And yeah, it's, it's really a goal of mine and I've been researching lots into it and I'm just, you know, hopefully something will bite one day and I'll end up there. Well, don't forget about us when you're on the top. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, we'll be I'll be back here and we can talk more in the future and maybe I'll have a few more uh, podcasts under my belt and <laughs> be a bit more used to it. No, definitely. No, I mean, it's No, fun. this has been great. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah th- thanks for taking the time. I'm glad we could uh, you know, all hop on the phone and talk about your experiences are pretty badass. <laughs> Thank uh, we're you. really looking forward to you're welcome <laughs> we're really looking forward to seeing uh the the black and white uh photos from north korea some of your material out from sudan somalia some of these other um exotic and less travel to locations so definitely keep us posted and show us what you got <laughs> for sure yeah i'll be making some more posts in the next upcoming weeks on uh, the focal collective and putting some together in the next uh, few days here awesome Awesome. Cheers, guys. Yeah. yeah. Thanks a lot for joining. We'll we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Talk soon. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, Seth.